Hi, I'm Brett Robinson. Welcome to the Redeeming Hope Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. We trust that you'll be inspired, uplifted, and encouraged as we look into God's Word together. So the title of today's uh, word is called The Switchery. The Switchery. I know. What is that? We're going to talk about it. Don't worry. We'll get to that. In the meantime, let's uh, read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross, cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased to the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than than human strength. So there are things in life that seem foolish that are actually wise, and there are things that seem very wise that actually in the sight of God certainly are very foolish. So you might ask, Brett, the switcheroo, what does it do? It has the power to change your point of view. <laughs> I said to you, I believe God has a sense of humor. So let's look at a couple of times in the Bible and some of the stories that I really think um, showcase this point. God saved the world with a large wooden boat built by a man with no built boat building experience or sailing experience for that matter and filled it with animals of every kind from around the world. Now, let's just put, imagine in your mind, a room full of experts together. Guys, world is coming to an end. Experts from the, in the field of geology and biography and boat building and engineering and mechanics. Can you imagine them trying to save the world um, in such a way? It's foolishness to, you know, the, the secular worldly way of thinking, yet this is what God did. He rebuked Balaam and saved his life by causing his donkey to speak to him. Have you read that story? <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. You just can't read that story seriously, you know. Yeah, Balaam is going on his way with his donkey and he ends up being wedged between two hedges and the donkey just refuses to go. So all Balaam is like clapping the donkey and shouting. He's getting mad and the donkey turns around and says, Hey, what did I do to you that you treat me this way? <laughs> the funniest thing of the whole story for me is not even the fact that the donkey spoke. It's that Balaam starts speaking with the donkey. 
<laughs> you know, we know the story that the Lord opened the eyes of that donkey and there the angel of the Lord stood in front of him, barring his way with a sword. So, God's sense of humor, I think, coming out. He saved Jonah through a whale. He enabled David to take down a battle-hardened giant with only a sling. He used normal, ordinary men and women, including a bunch of fishermen, to take the gospel to the world. I mean, really, if it was like us thinking and scheming with our wisdom and with all of our intelligence, we'd be like, let's gather the philosophers of the age. Let's gather those steeped in religious tradition, you know. Let's gather the wise. Let's gather the academics. Let's gather the politicians, those with influence and power. But that's not at all what Jesus did. This leads me to my next points in explaining the switcheroo. It's top-down versus bottom-up thinking. I'd like to read you a scripture to explain this mindset. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. And he says this to them, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, many times in our thinking, when we are calling out to God and when we feel confounded or confused or in the thick of a, a test or a trial or a temptation of some, some kind, you know, our natural inclination is, God, do you see me? Do you see what I'm going through? You know, do you remember me, Lord? God, I need you to intervene. I need your help. And we know that God is merciful and we know that He is compassionate and empathetic. And the book of Hebrews tells us that, you know, we have a high priest who was tempted in every way, just as we are. So we know that He is those things to us. But there is a spiritual truth that we need to be taking out of this lesson that Jesus was teaching His disciples in terms of how to pray. Because it's all very good and well to call out to God in our times of crisis, in our times of distress. But how many of you know that God doesn't want you to constantly live from one crisis to another? God doesn't want you to live in a place of distress. God wants to establish you and He wants you to walk in His ways of peace. He wants you to walk in His plans and purpose for you, which the Bible says will prosper you and not harm you. So I believe that Jesus was teaching his disciples how to live from a place of the power of God's presence. Because when we live out of the power of God's presence, God goes ahead of us and makes a way for us. This then is how you should pray, Jesus said. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is not a word we use these days, but it's just a way of saying, Lord, I honor you, I respect you, I admire you, I esteem you. That's basically what it's saying. 
Lord, let your kingdom come. Can you hear the difference? Top-down thinking. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is God's will done in heaven? Well, we know that God's will is done perfectly and without exception in heaven. On earth as in heaven. That's how we need to be praying about our lives and the life of our families, all that we do. This is in fact how Jesus himself lived and it's what he taught. Jesus says in John chapter 12 and verse 49, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Living from the top down. Living from heaven to earth. When we live from earth to heaven, then we come to God with everything that the world has to offer. But the best of the world, we've already read, is foolishness to God. We need to be living out of the wisdom and the power of heaven. I'd like to give you an example of bottom-up versus top-down thinking and read for you a short story from Exodus chapter 14, verses 11 to 14. And this is the story of the Israelites being rescued out of the land of Egypt. And all of a sudden they get to the Red Sea and they realize that the Egyptian army is bearing down on them with great speed and they're not looking terribly friendly. So the Israelites say to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Bottom up thinking. Now listen to Moses' response. Top down thinking, thinking from heaven to earth. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Um, I decided to look up in the... Um, Hebrew concordance, what that word or that phrase, be still, means. And um, sometimes you look up something and, you know, it means exactly what it, it says in the English, you know. And you go, okay, well, that's what it is. But there were some really good nuggets in this word. And I'm not going to try to pronounce it for you. But <laughs> some of the words which came out of this definition, this one really surprised me. The word deaf and be still. And I believe what Moses was saying was be deaf to the voice of the enemy. Stop listening to those voices 
of fear, doubt and unbelief. Because if we are trapped in that place and that's what we replay in our minds when we're going through stuff in life. But the voice that we keep hearing is causing us to feel panicked and fearful and anxious. We're going to continually remain in that state. And Moses is saying to them, stop listening to those things. Be deaf to them. The next part of this definition is hold your tongue. You can imagine in the Moses, in the anointing of God and the power of God's presence that comes on him, he like he doesn't want to listen to the stuff that they're saying. He knows it's not going to help him or them. And it's going to result in a disaster if they carry on speaking like this. So he's basically saying to them when he says, be still, he's saying, hold your tongue. Why? Do not speak anything contrary to God's word. What are God's promises? What are God's purposes for you? Those are the things we need to be speaking. The next word that comes from the definition is imagine. And I love that. You know, in the, the hardest time I found to be imaginative is when the pressure is on and I've, I'm under stress. So you know what the lesson I've learned in this is the most important time for me to not be under pressure and stressed is when there are good reasons to be under pressure and stressed because then I stop thinking clearly. We need to be able to find that secret place in the thick of whatever we are going through, that secret place where we interact with God, where we hear from God and we choose regardless of what we hearing or seeing in the natural realm to only speak that which he gives us to say. God wants us to live and to walk and to think and to speak with an imagination that's inspired from his presence. Imagine what God can do. I really believe that's the heart of what Moses would have loved to have said to them. Can't you see what's about to happen? Use your imagination. God's about to do something amazing. The next part of the definition is this. Hold your peace. Hold your peace. I remember watching a movie many years ago with uh, Mel Gibson. When he is playing um, William Wallace and in his character he's standing in front of a bunch of ragtag soldiers and farmers and ordinary people with you know very very basic weapons and they're facing the might of the English army coming against them with you know amazing armor and the best weaponry available of the day and the English army is charging them down but William and his guys have implemented a plan. And as they stand there in the movie, William charges up in front and he's saying, Hold! 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 He's waiting for the perfect time to implement their plan. There's a time to charge and there's a time to hold. We've got to know when to hold our tongue. We've got to know when to hold our peace. 
Hold on to the peace that God has given you. Get into that place with Him, that secret place, and be in prayer when the pressure's on. And lastly, I really love this one. The word rest is part of that definition. And I really believe what God wants us to know is that we need to live out of a place of rest in Him. It's a supernatural rest. This is not the kind of rest where I'm feeling sleepy. This is the kind of rest that comes when I know that I know who God is. I know that He loves me. I know that He's for me and not against me. I know what His Word says. I know the promises that He's given me. And my trust is in Him and I will not waver. I'm taking my stand upon the Word of God and I know that God is about to do something amazing. There's a rest that comes when we live out of the security of knowing God and the power of His presence. Thank goodness that Moses was in the midst of that situation and his thinking and speaking was top down from heaven to earth. Moses sensed in his spirit that something amazing was about to happen. And we know the rest of the story. God speaks to Moses. Moses strikes the waters and the seas begin to part. Do you know that I watched a scientific historical program recently and that they have discovered what appears to be the shape of chariot wheels in the coral formations at the bottom of the Red Sea. Even history and science is backing up what the Bible tells us. The next point about the switcheroo is what we see is all about our perspective. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 to 3 gives us some good insights about this. And it says in the NIV, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I love the way this passage reads in the Message Bible. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from His perspective. What we see is all about our perspective. Where is our head? Where is our heart? We need to be filling our mind and our thinking and our heart with the perspective of heaven. 
Wouldn't you love to fill your life, fill your home, fill all the work of your hands with the perspective of heaven? Do you believe that the perspective of God, the perspective of heaven would encourage you, uplift you, empower you, cause you to avoid certain obstacles and pitfalls that you really don't need to go through? I really believe that is God's heart for all of us. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you, the message says. Our perspective is determined by our position. Our perspective is determined by our position. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Have you ever said these words or spoken to someone? You're like, hey, how's it going? Or maybe someone said this to you. And, you know, maybe you said something like, hey, I'm really going through it at the moment. I'm really, I'm in the thick of it, you know. Well, we need to change our perspective. Ephesians 2 says that God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms. Or maybe you've heard someone say, well, you know, in my circumstances, considering my circumstances, I'm doing okay. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, what are we doing in our circumstances? You know, or under the circumstances. We need to live out of a position of being in Christ Jesus. Live from heaven to earth. Live from God's will and plan and purpose for our lives. The next point is our position is established by our identity, not our location. Identity is not about where you are. It's about who you are and to whom you belong. You and I might go through stuff and we might be in the middle of a mess, a crisis, a storm. But as long as we're in the boat with Jesus, we're going to be okay. When the disciples were crossing the lake and Jesus was asleep at the head of the boat and their eyes were only on the wind and the waves, they were in deep trouble. As soon as they took their eyes off the storm and they called out to Jesus and they listened to what he said and they watched him, the storm was calmed. God's presence, Jesus' presence and authority made all the difference. You know, we can listen to that and go, yeah, yeah, but sometimes in our thinking and our speaking, we still think like our position is established by our location. Well, you don't know where I've come from. You don't know my family background. That's allowing our location to establish our identity instead of our position in Christ. Well, you don't know my lack of this, my lack of education, my lack of training, my lack of support, my lack of finance. Those things are all allowing our location to establish our identity. 
our position is established by our identity, not our location. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And in verse 12 and 13, in that same chapter, it says, At that time you were apart from Christ. You were foreigners and did not belong to God's chosen people. You had no part in the covenants, which were based on God's promises to His people, and you lived in the world without hope and without God. But now, in union with Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I love those two words in the middle of this passage. And I suggest to you that these two words, but now, is the switcheroo. <laughs> God wanting to show you to change your mindset. But now. You know, we can use those same two words as well when we are going through stuff, when we are facing stuff, and Satan is bringing other voices against us and saying, you without God and you without hope in the world. And we go, I used to be that, but now, Satan, I am in union with Christ Jesus. I used to be far away, but I've now been brought near by the blood of Christ. But now, two powerful words that we can all say to switch our thinking and to switch the dynamic happening in the spiritual realm and to get into gear with what God wants to do for us in our lives. Let's practice. Turn to someone and say, but now. <laughs> but now. <laughs> we can all say those two words. Maybe you used to think a certain way. Maybe you used to act a certain way. You can change all that with two simple words. Yes, I used to do that. I used to be like that. But now I'm living out of a place of the unity and the union with Jesus in my life. That brings me to my next point. The thing about the switcheroo is the view is up to you. We get to choose our perspective and our view in life. Just now we saw a picture on the overhead projector of El Capitan, one of the most famous mountain peaks in the world and one of the most treacherous and difficult climbs for any rock face climb or mountain climber anywhere in the world. And I watched a program um, not long ago about a guy called Alex, I think it's Hemhold. And for years and years and years, the best of the best climbers in the world considered it impossible to free climb El Capitan. And you know what? For them, they were absolutely right. And everyone else agreed with them until Alex came along. And Alex decided that he would love to free climb it. And I definitely don't think it's a good idea. 
<laughs> However, his perspective and his view was different from everyone else. And there's an amazing film that's out on circuit. You can actually go watch it at the moment. And he solo climbs, free climbs, without any ropes, El Capitan. It's crazy what the guy does. But the view is up to you. Satan will try to put certain obstacles in our path. And he'll go, no, you can't get over this. You can't climb this. You can't get around it. And if you try, you're going to fall. You're going to fail. And in that moment, you just go, actually, that's not my view. I'm going to switch that view for a heaven, heavenly view of my situation. I want to read to you a little story about a hike up a mountain that Jesus did with some of his disciples. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 1, in the message, it says, Six days later, three of them saw that glory. Jesus took Peter and the brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain. His appearance changed from the inside out, right before their eyes. Sunlight poured from his face. His clothes were filled with light. All of a sudden, in a moment in time, on top of that mountain, Jesus was transfigured and God gave them eyes to see a different side of Jesus. And they saw the light and the glory of God. <clears throat> you know, Jesus invited them to go on that hike up the mountain that day. But they had to choose to go. They could have said, no, Jesus, I feel a bit tired. No, I think it's a rest day for me. No, I'm just going to hang back. They chose to go. Do you know that Jesus has invited us too, but we have to choose to follow. Jesus doesn't always take the easy path. Sometimes he leads us up a mountain. But when he does that, it's always to change our view, to change our perspective. Mountains have a way of changing our point of view. Have any of you ever climbed up something high? Maybe you went up to the top of a high building or maybe you stood over a high bridge and you looked down or maybe you climbed up a large hill or a mountain. You'll know that in those moments that all of a sudden your point of view can be radically changed. I remember um, at the age of 12 or 13 climbing one of the Drakensberg peaks with my dad and a bunch of the youngsters with us in our youth. And I remember getting to the top of the highest peak that was on the trail that we were doing and just looking around me and I was on the highest point for as far as I could see. I just looked down and everything and in the distance I could see this little river running in the valley below us and the wind blew through the long grass and there were some nice big rocks and we sat on those and had a a sip of water and something to munch on. But something amazing happened. When I sat up there in that high place, it kind of impacted how I thought about my life back home as well. It just gave me a higher and an elevated perspective. And it kind of 
made me think about what was really important in life. There's something about getting out of the hustle and bustle and the stress and getting up to an elevated position that changes our point of view and realigns our priorities. Jesus calls us, like he did his disciples, up to an elevated position in order to change our point of view. If you're battling to see and you're battling to change your perspective, get up with Jesus into a higher, more elevated position and learn to see things from his point of view. Recently I had the awesome experience together with a bunch of us from church of climbing a small local mountain peak called Lady Slipper. And I love doing it and I've done it before. But the coolest part of the whole experience for me was this. We had this little debate in our house about whether or not we should take Gabriel, who's six years old. And I mean, his little legs are, you know, half the length of mine. And it's for him, it's it was, you know, a really big mountain to climb. And we were like, should we take him? Shouldn't we take him? Should we? Shouldn't we? And I was like, no, nah, I really believe he can do it. You know, so I was like encouraging him and spurring him on before we even went in the car. We were talking about it. And I was, you know, I prepared him and I said, boy, there are going to be some times where you're going to climb and you're going to get tired and it might feel tough, but I know you can do it. And I'm going to be there with you and I'll grab you by the hand and I'll lift you up and I'll have some water for you. We'll do it together and it's going to be awesome. And so I gave him this pep talk and anyway we got busy and there were lots of us and we were climbing together. We did the whole climb and we got back and we were in the car and Gabriel turns and he says to me, he says, no dad, part of the climb, part of the way up, it was getting tough and the climb was hard and I was feeling tired and I said to myself, I know I can do it because I believe that I can do it. I believed it and I climbed it. And it was just this amazing moment. She has this little like six-year-old. It felt like he was giving me like this preach, you know, and he was encouraging me. He knew he would do it because he believed. He, he, said, to my, he said, I said to myself, I believe that I can do it. Mountains have a way of changing our point of view. We need to get out of the valley sometimes in our lives. And we need to climb the mountain with Jesus. We need to get into His Word and be reading those words that elevate us out of our situation and change our point of view. The world teaches that seeing is believing. In other words, the stuff that's going on around you is real, my man. Don't think you can just escape this just because you believe something differently. Facts are facts. But Jesus taught that if we believe, we will see. And I love this quote by Oral Roberts. A man who walked with God and saw incredible things as he obeyed God. And he wrote a book with the title, When you see the invisible, you can do the impossible. We have to see it in our, with our eye of faith. We have to see those things in our spirit man that God has planned and purposed for us. It's invisible to the naked eye, but in our spirit man, with the eye of faith, we can see it. 
Our spirit man is alive to God. And when we are aware of that union with God and we're listening to Him in that place of prayer and we're honoring Him, God gives us eyes to see. got more to say, but I think that's a great place to end off for today.